0: Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse than Christmas at 80 degrees. Really. <laughs> right, it's a little weird. <laughs> is that is that what you're experiencing right now? No, no, actually we're freezing to death and I, it feels very Christmassy because it's like 65 degrees or something, so. <laughs> this is Hot Buttons, a show about the future of fashion and culture on a changing planet. This week, Listener voicemails on curbing our consumption and wondering if women's retail is predatory and, as always, a look at the news shaping fashion's sustainable future. I'm Christina Binkley. I'm a contributing writer at Vogue Business in the Wall Street Journal. Rachel Kibbe of Circular Services Group is in New York. Rachel, how's it going? It's going great, Christina. Thanks. And the CEO of Thrilling, Sheila Kim Parker, joins us upstairs from South Salem, New York. Hi, Christina. I am, by the way, staring across the room at our Christmas tree, which we finally put up, and I've dived completely into Christmas mode. Oh, like, yeah. Like, that's where my brain is. I don't know about you guys.
1: My husband is Jewish, but we, so we celebrate all the holidays, and the so kids fun. are <laughs> spoiled rotten.
0: <laughs> do you do a gift every day for Hanukkah for
1: them? And no, then Christmas? we did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had my husband's family over this past weekend to celebrate um, Hanukkah, and we just did like one kind of family celebration. And they got a couple of gifts then, but, um, but yeah, they're like, this is awesome. This is eight <laughs> weeks. Can we also be, joy. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we adopt some other religions? Yeah. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so we got a bunch of voicemails um, on our caller line. One of them punched me in the gut. And um, I think we should listen to that one first and then maybe talk about it and move on to the second. Let's do it.
2: Hello there, I'm Nathan. I'm 22, so yeah, I'm that age group, and I'm actually reaching out. I work at Nordstrom. Specifically, I'm a suit measurer for a brand called Indochino. If I go upstairs, I feel that women's fashion is almost predatory. You you can get a same or similar blazer from a brand like Vince, but it's made of 100% polyester, uh, it's unlined or the buttons aren't functional, little things like that. And um I, I think that women are less likely to know that there's a difference in their fabrics for roughly around the same price point. That's really interesting to me. I'd love for you guys to explore that thought process too of the materials between the gender of our clothes is even different. And maybe that says something about what we expect for the longevity of that item in somebody's wardrobe. Thank you guys. I genuinely appreciate it and love listening to your podcast.
0: Okay. Boom. I don't know about you guys, but when I heard him say that from the moment he said, going up to the women's wear department feels predatory. I just, it reminded me of a column I wrote years ago when I was a fashion columnist to the Wall Street Journal and um, I did a column on how to shop like a man, and I interviewed all, this, mm. all these men about how they shopped, and it was revelatory for me. Like, they would walk in, and the first thing, and every retailer will tell you this, they do this. Men will walk in, and the first thing they do is they reach out, and they grab the fabric and feel it. And right. if it doesn't feel good, they walk away. Could you imagine walking up to a, a, a sequined gown, which is never going to feel good, right? <laughs> Sequins are not comfortable and walking away. Women don't even, they just don't have the expectations that clothes, we've, we've been trained not to have the expectations that clothes will work for us and fit us well, the way men do. I I have
3: to say, I, I've I've always done that. Like just naturally, I just am so tactile and I just Mm. love the feel of fabrics. And that's one of the things that got me interested in fashion. And, and for that reason, like a, a personal anecdote is that I, one of the first internships I did when I was studying at Parsons way back in the day was, um, for Jack Spade, um, which was a menswear brand owned by Kate Spade at the time. And I did that because I just loved menswear so much because of the, the feel of the fabrics and the, and the construction of, of, of their, the apparel just felt better to me. And it felt like I always wished that women had the same options.
1: Yeah, I was hoping you would share some of your experiences, um, some of your internship experiences, because I know that you've you've seen this firsthand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But I I feel like so much of this has to do with what Charles Kahn talked about um, in the Patagonia decision to to put the family's equity interest into a trust versus trusting an IPO or acquisition process, because the capitalist and growth objectives for every company is so strong. They did not trust that um, inevitably um, they would make decisions to, you know, um, compromise on quality and cut costs um, and try to compete more and more with fast fashion, which I assume folks feel like are, are, are creeping into um, taking over some of some of the dollars of some of their core customers. and so. Um, you know, I do think that it's, it has a lot to do with, um, people adopting the practices of fast fashion and, and trying to maximize profit as much as possible.
3: Yeah. And it's, totally. unfortunately, it's kind of the, the fabric that our clothes are made from sadly is one of the first things, uh, that gets sort of goes to the chopping block. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and when the, they're trying the quality to cut costs. Of- yeah. To yeah. cut costs and to save on margins because they assume people won't notice what, you know, like this blue cotton versus that blue cotton. Well, it makes, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference in terms of durability and the experience. And, and, um, you know, I found this made me look up sort of the pink tax. You, you all mm. know what the pink tax is?
0: Yeah. Everything costs more if you're a woman.
3: Yeah. It's, it's that concept. And I found, um, the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs did a study on the pink tax, um, which is how much more women pay for certain goods, including clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, also dry cleaning. Yeah. Health mm-hmm. and personal care, shirts. And they found that um, among among all those things, um, shirts had a 15% pink tax and dress shirts a 13%. They, they didn't really go into why. They just sort of did... Did the study. Um, Interestingly enough, though, men's underwear were 29% more. I have theories around that.
0: Well, (laughs) but look at it all men's underwear is like four times as large, just the fabric Uh alone. (laughs) Right, exactly. Oops, like yeah. Little,
3: yeah. little thong bikinis. Yeah. yeah, and women are expected <laughs> to have more in general. Yeah.
1: Wait, Rachel, you're saying the cost of the shirts are more expensive? Or, yeah, the or... cost
3: of shirts, are shirts overall as a category for women hmm. are about 15% more than men's shirts. And yeah. dress shirts, 13%.
0: I think it's such an incredibly important point is that for some reason, and we never really know why, manufacturers are charging us more for clothing women's clothes on in general has less fabric It Mm -hmm. might have more detailing um, depending on the shirt but it also has um they use they cut corners more in the in the the fabric right smaller seams seams so small that you can't let a shirt out for instance Mm -hmm. so then you end up buying a shirt too large and having it cut back if you want to have alterations to make it fit or the so, no
3: pocket trick, which engages yeah. me. Fake
0: pockets. Yes. I mean, mm, yeah. why <laughs> pockets that like look Cheaper. like there's a pocket, and it's only one inch deep.
1: So frustrating. Yeah, I feel like so much of this has to do with um, what we've talked about all year, which is which is the impact that fast fashion has had on the industry overall um, and the way that women consume. I guess if you looked at consumption by gender for fast fashion that women, I'm sure, are disproportionately the higher, the
3: higher, um, take the higher share of it. And it's, I wonder why. There was an Atlantic article that talked about how fast fashion or, or, or marketing in general is targeted at women at their most vulnerable developmental states when they are most Mm. insecure about themselves and their place in the world and their bodies Mm. most specifically. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's fast fashion. Who is it directed to? You know, I recently, um, had a,
0: a, kind of a week of Uber menswear shopping with my son who's 23 and I just got a job, um, as a senatorial aide and is going to go to Washington and needs to wear suits every day, tie Mm. whole thing. And so we, um, we spent a bunch of time over several days in menswear stores and I noticed, In one of them, um, it was actually Banana, we went into Banana Republic, and it was one of their flagship stores, I swear, I think that they've really been imitating Ralph Lauren stores, by the way, Mm. it was really interesting the way they've organized that one, but we walk in the front, and it was two stories, and the the bottom story was all women's wear, all kinds of stuff thrown at you, and then you get to the back of the store, and there's a grand staircase that you go Mm. up to the next level, you suddenly feel like you entered a club, And there were sort of all these rooms that were styled by um, kind of the style of what you're getting. Like there was the the room for suits and the room for sort of more casual stuff. And um, there were like six or eight of them. And suddenly all of these people materialized to ask us if they could help us. Like three people. I mean, suddenly there was
3: a tent right this way, sir.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's going on downstairs? Like, is this what it's like to be a guy? This is um, what, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. That's exactly right. They were like, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty high end experience for Banana Republic. I, loved, wow. I walked out of there very impressed actually with the fabrications that Banana Republic is doing. They're doing what we've talked about this before. Remember when Jay Crew was like using Laura Piano, Laura um, mm-hmm. Laura Piano, um, yarns and in, in cashmere and things like that. They're they're doing Italian yarns and writing it on the label the the name of the factory Great. that the hmm. yarn came from. And it says made in China, but the yarn came from da 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 and Biella. <laughs> you know, that kind
3: of it's pretty cool. Wow. This made me think about Lululemon and that whole debacle <laughs> yes. and and mm-hmm. how women, especially mothers, were targeted or are targeted in multi level marketing schemes in fashion because. They're, they're They want to work from home. They want their yeah. own income. And then women are preyed upon t- and encouraged to prey upon their own networks, which in and of itself takes advantage of the fact that women are community builders and that We, um, have large, um, networks of relationships, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then sell, sell fast fashion to our friends. Like it's not just fast fashion in and of itself. It's also, um, multi-level marketing schemes in beauty and in, in fast fashion. And I know men also probably have their own sort of MLM schemes. Do they? Uh, I think maybe in vitamins and like crypto powders. it's called crypto okay. crypto and powder <laughs> yes yeah. and you know what I mean like sure. <laughs> but it's less like it feels more like influencery and and MLMs for women and specifically in fashion and in beauty feel more um, um, targeted at just your everyday woman who wants to earn a living and um, do so from home did you guys see
0: that uh, Rihanna's company, uh, Savage by Fenty, just got fined big time? By the way, we should get ha- hats off to the Santa Monica, California district attorney who went after um, her brand and another one that's owned by the same overall company for um, it's a one point five million dollar fine that for to to Rihanna's company. That she was um, signing people up, or the brand was signing people up for subscriptions to the lingerie when they didn't realize it's it fifty nine dollars a month.
3: Wow! And a then they, you know, of, yeah, a lot of companies have done that, and I can name them who are, have gotten gotten away with it and never really been called out for it. Like a lot of beauty brands will do that. Suddenly, you'll be subscribed to a foundation that you never wanted to be subscribed to, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, the Santa Monica District Attorney said he wanted to make a a uh, an example out of Rihanna and Savage by Fenty because he, this was his, his second second one of these brands that he's gone after and he's going to go after more. So, you know, here's this like city district attorney I think who's He's taking Hudson's on the subscription fashion the world. Yeah. It's the holidays. Everybody's consuming more of everything right now from food and drink to clothing and everything else. And we yeah. had another caller come in who was very thoughtful about um, sort of how we can approach the issue of consumption.
2: Hi, my name is Chantal. I'm a huge fan of the show. My question for you is how can we focus this conversation more on getting off the treadmill of consumption culture? It seems like without a radical change in our discourse and norms around what and how much stuff we collectively think we want and need, there's really no way to break the vicious cycle of overproduction and overconsumption would love to hear your thoughts thanks again
1: bye Chantal is really getting to the to the heart of the matter um which is uh, exactly this, which is cycle of consumption fueled by capitalist infrastructure and
3: we've also we brought this up a few weeks ago and and we were thinking I remember thinking we need to bring on a sociologist or a psychologist to or an addiction specialist to talk to us about absolutely this. yeah. Yeah. Actually, addiction, I think, yeah. you is exactly nail it right. there. Well, That's exactly, exactly right. So I looked I looked up shopping addictions because I just don't know. I know it's a real thing that for which people seek treatment. And there's something called buying shopping disorder, BSD. It's an addiction in which people use shopping as a coping me- mechanism to regulate their emotions um, by either getting pleasure or relief from shopping. There was a lot of interesting things w- about this disorder that I think kind of, I relate to personally just as a human, and I think we can all relate to, there's something yeah. called cue reactivity um, or excitement from shopping cues. And if you are more reactive to shopping cues, and those can come in the form of targeted and sponsored all- online ads, that can sort of really, really kick up people who are have a strong propensity to have a reactivity to this to be addicted to shopping when you and say shopping cues you mean shopping queue like que, uh, cue like not a line not not standing on a cue to start yeah, shopping yeah cue reactivity okay. so it's like okay. if you get a cue to buy something you know if you don't have a shopping addiction you may say oh i'd like that or maybe it doesn't even sort of really register for you i don't mm-hmm. have a shopping addiction i i can identify with the comp- Compulsion to buy something I really want, but if you're a person that has extreme reactivity to these cues, um, that can be predatory, you know, yeah. like extreme marketing, um, extremely targeted ads towards you. It can and Instagram, you, yeah. I mean yeah
1: and I right? I completely
3: agree Rachel I've, and I feel like it's
1: not just those who are prone to ex, you know kind of extreme addictions I think it affects all of us yep. and and it's purposeful it's intentional cuz the 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 act of making us buy things that we don't need that's kind of an it's more acute now but it's kind of an age old mm-hmm. problem we've had and crosses every single consumer product category yeah. and it's definitely science not art like these brands, these marketing agencies, have spent hundreds of millions of dollars over decades investing in PhD-level research and science yes. to engineer the packaging, the marketing, the retail layout. There was this great stat that apparently two-thirds of supermarket purchases are were not intended by the shopper when they entered that store.
0: Oh, so I all can't identify with I'm raising not. my <laughs> hand, right? And exactly. Me and Costco. But oh my God.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's an element of it where it's it's not. Really, 100% our fault because no. that is on purpose. That's in t- 100% intentional. And CMPC just published a study that said 73% of Americans feel that most of their purchases these days are spontaneous. Um, mm-hmm. So marketing has gotten more sophisticated. I think financial there's there's a certain level of financial engineering that's also gotten more sophisticated. Um, in terms of fashion, you know, you have these artificially low prices, um, right. especially as it relates to fast fashion. Yes. they're artificially depressed.
0: Um, you have f- because easy returns. they've paid slaves to make them exactly yeah.
1: right. So you have easy returns, you have free shipping, and then you have these buy now pay later schemes that ha- that is particularly yes. seductive t- for younger generations. And that's um, all of that kind of feeds this culture of consumption, and it's 100 percent intentional.
3: It's interesting, like all those barriers that you mentioned that have sort of been removed to enable people to just make decisions that they might otherwise not make in terms of shopping if they had those barriers there's also something Mm -hmm. when i was i was looking at shopping addictions there's something called coupling and online shopping inherently removes coupling and what coupling is is when you're taking money out of your pocket and you're paying for something you see the loss of that in front of your face. But if you're paying some- for something online with a credit card, yeah. you're not cu- you're not coupling the loss of that money with the purchase <laughs> of that good right away. Oh totally. It's how I, it's it's why
1: I feel like Uber Eats and Ubers are free. I'm like, oh that didn't cost free. Me anything. That was yeah. free.
3: <laughs> it
0: just cost me forty percent right. more right. than it's if I'd
1: a forty dollar salad. gallery. <laughs> <free. laughs> I also have a lot of free <laughs> money at Amazon. Yes, yes, <laughs> me too. Do
0: you know what though? Honestly I think Doing this podcast with the two of you has definitely 120% changed my consumption
3: patterns. I made my first luxury pur- purse purchase on The Real. Mm. Real. A couple oh, weeks nice. ago. I've started which to think it? about, yeah, I, there was some, I think I've talked about it before, but there was a, little, a bit of a barrier for me in terms of buying luxury because I felt like it was, it was signaling something that I wasn't. And I've started to think uh, about it in a whole new way.
0: What did you buy? Will you tell us? I yeah, bought a Fendi a
3: bag. Should I show it show to you? Show and tell. Yes, okay. do you have, I have, oh, it, yes, I have it right here. Hold hold <laughs> oh my um, God.
0: Oh, that's gorgeous. beautiful. You will have that. That is a really good bag. Right. And you will but have never. that forever you will it's yeah. gonna last look it's probably you'll be able to it? give it to your show us the bottom it... i want to put it. show us the bottom yeah see see yeah. those little metal things there yep. that's so you in perfect put it condition. on the floor and the thing in yep. the purse doesn't get scuffed
3: and it yep. fits a laptop and the nice it's just got the most beautiful really details nice. and i have to say the amount of compliments i've gotten on this bag i never thought people would just they know whether they're interested yeah. in fashion or not they're like oh what is that and it's so special and it if it were to need a repair i would definitely get it repaired
1: no absolutely and that's and that's the thing is that i feel like all the kind of financial engineering we were just talking about i feel like people feel people are really really seduced by this fast fashion is more affordable concept they and and in fact they actually might be spending the same amount but the idea of spending twenty dollars and ten dresses feels immediately better than spending $200 on one dress. And I think that, you know, that financial, that kind of, that's, that, um, um, tricky financial engineering around making people feel like they can afford more fast fashion. And, and for our younger generations these days, you know, millennials, the first generation to fall behind their parents in terms of standard of living and having higher, student debt, 2x amount of debt than their parents mm, at, yeah. this, at the same ages, yeah. higher housing costs, earning far less, and Gen Z are on track to do even worse than millennials. And so these generations are, I think, fueling really the fast fashion rise, yeah. um, who are particularly su- su- susceptible to the idea that I deserve more affordable fast fashion, even though at the end of the day, they actually might be spending the same amount
0: Cost to wear, how many times am I going to wear this? If I'm not going to wear it 35 times, why am I buying it? Right. Absolutely. I mean, for our parents and grandparents, c- you know, relative to their income, clothes were way more expensive yeah. than they are now. Right. And they really thought right. through every. I still see I see my mother doing this and sometimes it makes me a little crazy she'll be looking at a pair of pants and she'll be like, oh, I, the pockets aren't perfect. I mm-hmm. don't want these." And i will be like, "But everything else about these is perfect." <laughs> right? Like, what's so one what
3: of the pockets? Get aren't over perfect? it. She wants
0: to love <laughs> yeah. it. She wants to love
1: it for she decades. She wants to
3: love like, all of it. Right. Exactly. Well, I have to exactly. say we're also <clears throat> the fact that it's taken me this long knowing how much I know to start investing in in myself in, in terms of wardrobe. Is, is interesting and I have to say that the pleasure I've gotten from having this bag and I have it sitting out and I look at it every day and I'm so happy and people are denying themselves that by buying 10 pairs of jeans or turning over the wardrobe constantly they're denying themselves of the speri- experience of owning something something that they really cherish
0: yeah and you went to the real real, which yep. makes it much more affordable, right? I mean, that bag—it oh, so was on Not sale. from the real real is exactly. out of, no, is out was, of reach of most humans. But, I would right. never have. Bought. But there are places to get them.
3: Yeah, and and if and, and I was invested in. Uh, I think I looked at it for a long time. I had it in my cart, and I got it when it was even more on sale. And so Ooh. I was really invested in this item, and I kept going back to it, thinking, "Oh, I, I it wasn't just like oh, I kind of like this. It's twelve o'clock at night, and I'm watching Netflix." You know,
1: but that's, yeah. but that's the thing is that, you know, most people will feel like they also don't want to invest that amount of time. And that's why I feel yeah. like actually the solution, um, and Rachel, I know you're all over this since you're leading so much of the policy effort. I feel like the solution actually has to come from policy, yeah. um, and has to go back to the responsibility of corporations in this. Yep. Um, the EU is
0: working on that a little bit. Absolutely. They're ahead of the rest of the world on it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I keep going back to, um, I, you know, I love the, the example of how did we deal with tobacco, yeah. which is the same kind of yeah. thing. Which is like it's an unnecessary product; nobody needs to smoke a cigarette. But it, it's a free capitalist society. You're allowed to purchase what you want. You can make what you want as long as you're not breaking any laws. And so, how do they effectively combat that? And it was so interesting. I was I was reading about. World Health Organization's Framework Convention on Tobacco Control that they signed in 2003. They got 168 countries to sign on to this. And listen to this: the, the objective that they laid out. Okay. The objective is to protect present and future generations from the devastating health, social, environmental, and economic consequences of t- tobacco consumption by providing a framework for tobacco control measures in order to reduce tobacco use. So this is very clearly laying out. They want um people to be consuming less tobacco and so what and what were the levers that they used taxes yeah extremely well-funded public awareness campaigns the labeling of products and very heavy restrictions on how the product is marketed and they couple that with establishing civil and criminal liability for any um breaking of these rules and of course for any damage incurred by the products but I, 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 I always think that that's such a great framework for how did we deal with tobacco? It's such a great framework to thinking about how do we deal with in a free capitalist society where we're yeah. not saying we can't tell people don't make this and don't buy
0: this. But what are the levers that have worked really well in the past? That's a great framework. Do you think there's any, Rachel, You you go to Washington, you talk to people there about policy. Do you yeah. think that there's potential for something like that w- regarding
3: re- controlling fast fashion? I do. I think that it's going to be, um, I think we're going to have a different path just because it's not as directly linked to public health. Um, yep. but that's I, the thing, the visceral yeah, public health the cancer. Right. And yeah. It, it, yeah, it, fe- yeah. And, and because, um, the impact, the environmental impacts are not as much here domestically as they are elsewhere, but we have other mm. ancillary impacts like...
1: Microplastics.
3: Like, at, yeah. actually, those are mostly abroad too, um, or half abroad in the upstream production process, but um, like waste in our landfills, like the waste for which we're responsible to sending to other countries. We're gonna have to make a bit of a different argument um, around sort of our, um, our contribution to climate change overall. And um, the different sort of parts of that, and the different levers that you can pull, it's different too because it's a municipal waste issue. I I think some of the things that you mentioned, like taxes and labeling, and um, all the all of those things are are going to be a really important part of um, how we start to address reducing the amount of um, fast fashion that we're both inputting into our own systems and landfills and and the global south systems and and lack of landfills, um, mm. but also, um, how we're going to, uh, uh, get the funding to build the infrastructure and provide the green jobs that are going to be available. Cause there's also a lot of positive impact that we can talk about by, I mean, so, so with tobacco, I mean, it's incredible. The positive impact is you survive, you don't die an unnecessary death yeah. from this, 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 but for, for, um, a, for apparel and for um, circularity, the positive impact um, can can also be health implications, but more 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 um, immediately for the United States, there's domestic job implications. We have um, an opportunity to hire a lot of people and build infrastructure. Um, We can make repair accessible. We can make reuse and resale more accessible and not just sort of a side project. We can finally build recycling infrastructure. And there's there's a tremendous sort of infrastructural opportunity here and an energy opportunity too. Like getting people to understand that that the waste we are producing is fossil fuel based um, and it doesn't have to be or it can be less so. I do think that there is a tremendous uh, public awareness analogy that can be made for tobacco and I do think it's an addiction. I think there's a lot of adjacent sort of uh, tactics we can use that but I I think the solution is going to be be a little well, the economic
0: impact that you just referred to that it's that it's literally jobs it's literally of jobs. Course, those those become th- those reinforce themselves because if you have people who have jobs they are also spending in their community so right you, and, got, you and, get these cycles of, and unlike tobacco we're impact. not sal-
3: saying like you can't do this anymore we're trying to take down tobacco companies we're not trying to take down fast fashion companies we're not trying That's to not take, take down fa- did, fashion companies we're trying to build new economies around a different type of fashion system yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Though they were not explicitly trying to take down the tobacco companies, in not fact, explicitly. Almost all of them are still they're, are fine. Still yeah, they're, <laughs> they're all, fine. They're but doing fine, but I think they're they're they perceived
3: really it as such. And fashion companies may perceive it as such, but I think there's a more direct argument to say, no, this is just you know turning the dial on where your revenue streams may come from. And then, yes, it may be painful, but it, but you can still exist should you decide to sort of exist in a system that we're going to need to support the planet. You know, this sort of leads into
0: a couple of newsy things that happened recently that I think we wanted to talk about. Um, For instance, 119 nations signed on to this 30 by 30 plan to preserve 30 percent of the planet's land and oceans by 2030. Did you guys see that? It was at COP 15, a biodiversity meeting in Montreal that came out of nowhere for me. I didn't even know that was happening. I think the U.S. did not sign. Did I read
3: that? Am I right I about they that? They did not. Yeah. Okay. We have our own bill that accompl- they're claiming accomplishes the same thing. So they, they endorsed it, but they didn't sign it. Because I think, yeah.
0: Okay. I guess. I don't know what to think about yeah. that. but Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't know. Good job. US. Yeah, no. yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
3: No comment until we know more. Exactly.
0: (laughs) In the fight against greenwashing, the FTC voted to begin reviewing the green guides that are used to determine if a company's claims around their environmental impact are actually real. Okay, yay. We've had a lot of movement toward trying to curb greenwashing in this past year, both in Europe and now here.
3: Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting. I, I, I mean, it, so the, the the green guys were first, for a little background, the, the green yeah. guys were first introduced by the Federal Trade Commission in 1992. They were last updated in 2012. Um, and they were designed to help marketers um, and, and the marketers at company avoid making environmental claims that weren't true, that misled customers. So they're, they're <laughs> truly in place to... Um, protect customers and protect companies from making misleading claims. Um, So the claims must be truthful and not only truthful, but substantiated. So the rub is at present, um, since they haven't been updated since 2012, they don't even define the word sustainability, um, nor are they overall just legally enforceable. They're a framework for which um, you can enforce um, and and litigate, but they aren't legally enforceable in, an, in and of itself. Um, they cover um, recycling, um, uh, general environmental benefits, compostability, ozone impacts, carbon offsets, um, the use of healthy ingre- uh, ingredients such as free of and non-toxic, um, man- manufacturing um, with renewable energy and more. Um, I think for uh, fashion's purposes, uh, recycling is most interesting. Um, for recycling, um, the Green Guides um, at present discuss when and how marketers should make claims about recycling, uh, recyclability and recycled content. Um, and um, for context on where we are with the Green Guides overall, last Wednesday they voted unanimously to review them, um, which could include modifying. Um, maintaining or rescinding them entirely. The chair of the FTC, Lena Khan, who I looked up. Um, she's a badass. She's only thirty-three years old um, and is wow. heavily involved in antitrust um, and, and just really cool. Um, uh, I, she's made some statements that made me feel that this could be really important to fashion
2: um, hmm.
3: and and. and it's funny to look back at 2012. It seems like, oh, my God, how could they not include sustainability? Or how could they not um, include textiles? Well, they they did contemplate textiles at first, back in 2012. But back then, we were just thinking about, like, organic or not. Like, organic cotton or yeah. not. We weren't really thinking about recycled content. And they decided that organic was under uh, agriculture purview. So now, um, Lena has stated that... Um, a question she has said that wait, she has stated that sorry, let me, I got. I lost myself in my notes. Oh, she has stated that a question that may be complicated is whether contemplated is whether claims that a product is recyclable should reflect where a product ultimately ends up.
1: Hmm.
3: So, right. So, you know, you buy something yeah. and this could be the, this can't can apply to fashion but i think overall most people would think about this in terms of like their yogurt containers like if it says it's recyclable we believe it's recyclable but totally yeah, yeah. and so and then but you find out it isn't right. for and all f- the plastic
0: bags that say recyclable and then right. local municipal things can't handle them i even get that's true even the things that say that they're compostable now and then you find mm-hmm. out it's not compostable in your yard it's compostable yeah. if you have a special composting facility right <laughs> right which nobody has you don't have that <laughs> don't have weird that,
3: like. right and if you think about recycled too in terms of packaging both packaging and textiles people want to know okay well what is it made of is it made of plastic um is it recycled out of plastic containers yeah. is it recycled out of post-consumer industrial content is it ultimately i think people think that um when they see recycled it was recycled out of used items and that's the goal, really, with recycling, yeah. is you take the, the used and not, not just the industrial offcuts of any industry, but you take right. the used things. So those types of things still need definition. And um, I think that there could be some movement here in textiles on that, um, among other things, in, in terms of sustainability. There's no definition of sustainability at all in the Green Guide. Would, so. there
0: be, would this only apply to goods that are manufactured in the United States? I don't think so. Does it somehow address imports?
3: I think it addresses imports.
0: I hope so. I really hope so.
1: Isn't it about what's marketed in the? Yeah, market? it's, it's about
0: the language that's used.
1: Yeah, it's um, but however
3: you talk oh, okay. market something. It's yeah. truth in labeling. Okay,
0: cool. Uh, there's something else I wanted to bring up. Um, Dolce Gabbana, about a week and a half ago, announced their sustainability plan. Um, and I, on the one hand, it was remarkable for how weak it was. On the other hand, it was even more remarkable for the fact that they came out and said, we know we're way behind and it's really weak and we're just starting, but we're going to catch up. Um, they've joined a consortium that was recently formed among six companies in, um, in Italy. Well, it was Prada, Zegna, Max Mara, Montclair and OTB, which owns Diesel and Marni and a bunch of brands. Um, they're going to work together. To share data, to share what's working in their practices, it's I don't. This is a concept that, honestly, I don't think it would work outside of Italy. But Italian why is that? Companies, can.
3: why do you think that? Because
0: Italians, uh, I know they have a reputation for being chaotic and and competitive with each other. But the truth is, at the end of the day, they really cooperate a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen cases where a, an Italian factory would get an order that was too big to handle and instead of trying to work all their employees 24/7 to get it done they panned part of the order to a competitor to get wow. it done i mean there's you know there are I, italy doesn't get a lot of press for that kind of thing but that's very it's very intriguing <laughs> um, and so this is really early stages this consortium is called Recrea, crea r e and then hyphen c r e a um, the Recrea Consortium, and they just had their first meeting a couple of weeks ago. They are not far along on it, but I'm planning to keep tabs on it, and just I think it's kind of very interesting to see, uh, you know, remembering also that it, these are luxury Italian fashion brands, so they're way, they are not fast fashion, right? They're all manufacturing in Italy using fantastic fabric, so they've sort of already leapt a lot of the hurdles that we talk about every day in terms of quality.
3: Have they mentioned what their top line focus is going to be to start or?
0: It's, uh, um, no, there's no one top line thing. I mean, they're all, for instance, Dolce Gabbana is um, converting all of their electrical use, I think by the end of this year. So like it probably has already been done in Italy is all going to be green the next year it'll be all of Europe and i can't remember the date but i think in the following year it would be globally mm-hmm. they would all mm. switch to sustainable which is really a matter of renegotiating their contracts mm. with utilities right mm-hmm. um they're doing a huge retraining program for every single Gabbana employee around the world from top executives to store assistants and janitors and it's you know it's it's depends on what their job is if they're if they're sourcing fabrics, then they're going to be trained in how you source fabrics mm-hmm. better. Um, if they're just office workers, what they said one of the things we want to teach people to do is turn the lights off when you leave. Oh my the god, room. I was going <laughs> to joke <laughs>
1: about that. I thought it was so fascinating, Christina, in your piece for Vogue Business on Dolce and Gabbana that that they were you know you said this earlier, but that they describe themselves as cr- were crawling, not walking, were late yeah. entrance. <laughs> like they were just so brutally honest about themselves. You never they, you don't really ever see that, especially from a luxury. <laughs> brand. Well, it also feels it's very, very Italian abolished.
3: when they're like, they're kind of like, oh,
1: oh you think we're here. <laughs> we're late. <laughs> we're going to do it better than I... you. <laughs> the other thing that I loved, Christina, about your piece is that we're you're... sorry that you're not. Italian. Yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah. Ahead, we're control. sorry you're <laughs> not you're... involved. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Your <laughs> quote from the head of sustainability, I think for Dolce & Gabbana. I, yeah. um, and he said, uh, please don't write this down because it would be embarrassing for me, but <laughs> I am buying less. And Um, you know, it's bad. And, and I, and I just, again, thought, wow, that, that type of honesty, you don't really, you're not used to hearing. Americans, we are king
3: bullshitters. I have to say that. (laughs) Like, it's true. I I don't feel like it. it, it, King
1: bullshitters Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) He was,
0: he was, he was, uh, it was Marco Fermento. He's, um, he was even more honest about that stuff i actually thought oh, then you edited <laughs> between it out. us no no between us i thought you know i'm gonna he's saying this stuff i'm putting out there because it's true <laughs> you know and yeah. i was gonna literally i was gonna say this about their plan and then he said it wow. yes we're planning we're just starting out it's week we have a lot of work catching mm-hmm. up to do okay it's refreshing I, but i thought they would be furious i got i got thank yous emailed thank yous from the ceo and from wow. Mark. i mean they were like Th- they so it wasn't the slip of the tongue that he was. Yeah, I mean, he made that right. point many times in in an hour long interview, and Very um, interesting. and they, he meant it. It was the message that they wanted to put out there. So cool. Anyway, um, I I don't know if we want to go there. For yes, you do, I feel sort of Christina. <laughs>
1: okay. I am
3: so,
0: hurt that you wouldn't go there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we talking about underwear? We're going. Yes, yes. we are. So did you? I'm not sure
0: if you saw this, but Lizzo recently asked on Twitter, what is the most ethical way of getting to get rid of old panties that you don't want anymore? Lizzo asking the question. She's not <laughs> like, wonderful. I love her. This okay. is December
1: 13th of this of 2022. She tweeted it out. Yeah. It's so great. And it just so she got happens. a lot of
0: responses. Yeah.
1: She and did it, get a lot of responses, including from Rachel, because <laughs> Rachel just just talked about this in a Bloomberg piece. Yeah.
0: No. i did i did it's on people's minds it turns out that there's a lot of ways to do this and yeah. i i have actually contemplated okay i gotta get out the scissors and like cut out the elastic
3: compost the cotton i guess tell us help us rachel i mean i i, I well it was funny because i i felt like i was learning along with the article i contributed to because you know i, sp- I spoke to the journalist primarily about um sort of the barriers to entry in terms of actual recycling of 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 undergarments which of underwear specifically and and bras as well um Mm. which face the same issues as most things except um um maybe more um for 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 bras because there's so many component, component parts and there's so much elastane which isn't recyclable you know it's funny i i love this piece and and i also want to say the caveat that like underwear pretty much the least of our problems in terms of um, the makeup of our waste and how much waste we have. But I think it is something that really brings to mind in consumers, like consumers start to think about why don't we have recycling because of underwear often i think because they think i don't i don't want to give this to a goodwill i don't want to pass this on like what do i yeah, do totally with this not. right and yeah. so from a right. marketing perspective and circularity underwear is a perfect place to start to ask questions and the answers mm-hmm. is the answers are few and far between and i think that with the piece sort of was centered on is this one brand says that they can compost your underwear. Can they? What are the health implications of that? Should you? Um, what does composting mean? Um, there's different types of composting. Composting could be could be in your backyard, right? Um, but should it be? If it's 100% cotton, right? That's the thing of that N- brand was 100% cotton. Maybe if it's 100% cotton, but what's it treated with? I mean, uh, you can't just take any cotton good and put it in your backyard, nor should you. And composting can also mean industrial. Because else. what, in cause what? Cause Christina? Because Christina, stop! The... Stop putting <laughs> all your underwear. Christina's, a- it... Christina's got to go. She's Has a full go garden of cotton underwear. <laughs> she... <laughs> I know, because I use
0: my compost in the vegetable garden, so I definitely don't. Well, Christina's face reveals a lot of her cotton underwear have gone into her garden. Actually, never <laughs> yeah. have, but anyway. <laughs> it never occurred sure. to me. Sure. Uh-oh. <laughs> until until well,
3: Rachel glad we talked, talked about, about it. it. <laughs> yeah. What are they dyed with? Like the dyes, you know? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I
1: actually had never really thought about it because it's, I guess from a consumption point of view, I feel like, I feel like I tend to keep my underwear for, uh, for a pretty (laughs) long time. Um, but, um, but so I, I heard of some companies that I never, that, you know, so fab scrap and Nikki and four days were some of the, some of the names of companies thrown around of, of, folks who can take it back. And I think for some of them, they're actually, they're not, um, repurposing them, but they are, uh, Sh- maybe shredding them for insulation or carpet padding right. or that's kind of how they talk about it right. and then uh, some other solutions that people talked about which I thought made a lot of sense is that you know obviously wash them and then use them as cleaning rags around your house that's um, what we used to and
0: I do that, growing up that's like that's a great idea you know this reminds <laughs> me uh, honestly of like I, I wrote a column about men shopping for underwear at a time when there was a sudden explosion of new styles of underwear for men. It used to be boxers and they came out with boxer briefs and then there were a billion of them and (laughs) it turned, I went into several department stores and interviewed men in the process of shopping and a lot of them were quite confused about it and didn't like all the new, um, Hmm. new options. And then, so we, we, you know, the column ran and I was suddenly deluged with email from wives Complaining that their husbands would never stop, they'd never get rid of their underwear. Like it'd be ratty and have holes. And so that's um, why there's a
3: pink tax for men on their underwear because the men's underwear companies are like, we know you're going to shop here like once every thirty years, so we're going to
0: charge you now (laughs) because you're going to wear it until it's a rag. (laughs) And then I got my most memorable one. I meant I should. I I think I saved this one. I got this email from a man who said, "My wife keeps throwing away my underwear just when it gets comfortable." You're That's like, hilarious. I can't help you. Isn't that sweet? That's so I funny. can help you. I it's want, like a nice
1: denim. You got to wear it in until it's
0: <laughs> it's the right shape and comfort. Okay. We did Rachel's hot button. We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sheila, you got a hot button?
1: Well, okay. So I haven't watched the Harry and Meghan documentary. I don't know if you guys have the documentary. Oh, my God. I have so I much to say. I just binge-watched it. You did? Okay. Well, we're have. we going to have to do this offline. because <laughs> oh. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I don't want to spoil it, it, but no, spoilers. I cried a lot. Let's just wow oh really. my god Oh, i really powerful. want to talk about it christina why did you refuse i'm so curious
0: i'm s- so you're sick of it all i don't watch the housewives either i don't know i'm just like yeah, not in just sync just with you guys on this <laughs> you
3: have a higher quality of just life because we have like- really <laughs> great taste
0: <laughs> i know well you're having way more fun than i
1: am right 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 well <laughs>
3: okay what i was going a- to
1: say about it is that so i haven't watched that but um I don't know if you guys had heard about Kate and William's recent visit to the U.S. Yes. Um, they came to Boston cause, to present the Earthshot Prize, um, right. I guess, environmentally focused awards. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that Kate, and I'm, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan at all, to say the least, of the royal family um, and, Me neither. Um, and, uh, and of that institution, obviously. But I did think it was interesting that Kate wore a rental dress. Um, oh, she did. That she rented from a London-based rental company, I think called Her, for seventy-four pounds. Um, and Prince William wore a, a repeat outfit that you know, a, a blazer that he had been sh- shot in many times. And I just thought, even though I'm 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 not a fan at all of of that institution um, and and most of the people in it, um, I did think that you know they do have a lot of power um, in terms of the messaging that they broadcast. And I thought that was really interesting.
0: Maybe I will watch it. Now that you're saying that, I'm realizing that one of the things, I haven't given a great deal of thought to it, but one of the things that I've liked about the Harry and Meghan thing is that they're rebelling.
3: They're not fans
0: of
1: and... the institution either. Oh, I did want to drop um, just a, a little gift, a holiday gift onto your social feeds, Ooh. which is this which is this account called Ke- from this um, professional fighter called Keith Lee on TikTok, Keith underscore Lee 125. And he's this professional fighter who's turned into this food critic and okay. it's so delightful and just so different than anything you've ever seen. Um, I'm just, just trust oh, me. What's his Keith handle? underscore Lee one, two, five.
0: Okay. Lee is L E E. L E E. Yep. My hot button is just literally to wish you guys a fantastic Aww. holiday. Rachel, Shilla, also everybody at Postscript Audio. We are so grateful for what you do. Um, and I hope that you guys all take off next week and just bask in love and light and peace. and Wow.
1: That's a beautiful message. Oh, can, I change my, can I change my hot button? If I were able to be
3: vulnerable, I would say the same thing. My... I can't access that part of me, but it was beautiful. I love laughing with you guys. I honestly do.
0: <laughs> that's all for the show please support us by following us on twitter at Pod and now on instagram at hotbuttons.pod or send a link to friends or colleagues and go to apple or spotify and give us a rating we're also streaming on amazon music we really appreciate you s- your support if you want to email us with story ideas, send a note to hotbuttons at postscriptaudio.com or leave us a voicemail, like Nathan and Chantal did, at our new call-in line. It's 508-622-5361. Give us a call. Hot Buttons is hosted by me, Christina Binkley, Sheila Kim Parker, and Rachel Kibby. The show is produced by PostScript Media. Our senior editor is Anne Bailey. Our engineers are Greg Vilfrank and Sean Marquan. Cecily Mason Martinez is our managing producer. Stephen Lacey, Scott Clavenna, and Rachel Kibbe are our executive producers. Postscript Media makes podcasts at the intersection of climate with culture, politics, business, and tech. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logistics, and advanced materials. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch up with you next year.
3: Okay. Sheila's got all, all right. the good social media. I know. <laughs> always... I don't know how you find time to work. If I just you want like... Sheila to be I'm my like... algorithm. Yeah.
0: But okay. that would be
1: my dream job. Yeah.